The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Well, we have been in a series called Dust to Dust, Stories of Transformation. And so what, what we've done this Lent is we've said, let's look at the stories of transformation of the people who are a part of this local church, uh, Axe Church Leander. And so two weeks ago, uh, we, we got to hear from our, our, our sister Sandy, and, and she shared with us how, how God's grace worked in her life and, and transformed her and, and really turned her into this, this incredible servant. And, and then last week, I, I shared with y'all uh, our story as a church, where we've come from, where we are now, and, and where I believe God's leading us. And this week, we are blessed uh, to have Ron Jackson share with us his story of transformation. It's, it's pretty cool. I hope you got a chance to see his video online. We posted it on social media, whatever. If you didn't get a chance to see it, fear not. We'll play it in a little bit here. Um, but before we dig into Ron's story... Uh, one of the things we've been doing with this series is we've tried to say, okay, so these are our stories. This is what we've seen God do in our lives. But how does that line up with what we see in God's story in the Bible? Where we, how, do, how do our lives and God's word intersect? And so we've been trying to line up our stories of transformation with stories of transformation in Scripture. And so our text for today that I just read is Matthew chapter 4, and, and it's the story of, of Jesus being tempted by the devil. And we're digging into this text for a variety of reasons, but... Uh, one of the main ones is you saw that Jesus, he fasts for 40 days, right? It says he, he goes into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. And we as a church right now are, are in a season of the year called Lent, which focuses us um, on Easter, focuses us on Jesus' death and resurrection. And that season lasts for 40 days. And a, a common practice amongst Christians is to fast during those 40 days. Now, Jesus didn't eat anything uh, I don't think anyone's doing that, but some of you maybe gave up chocolate or you gave up meat or you gave up coffee if you're crazy, you know, whatever. Um, but but we, uh, we fast uh, during this time. And so it's really common for the church to, to, as we think about our fasting, to look at Jesus and what he did as he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. But before we even get into that story, I want to set up the, the context. Uh, in Matthew chapter 3, before Jesus fasts and is tempted by the devil, uh, he's baptized. Matthew chapter 3, he's baptized and... and you know the story, the, the, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and then uh, this voice from heaven speaks, and it's, it's God the Father speaking. And in Matthew 3, verse 17, it says this, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so before Jesus begins his ministry, God the Father identifies him. He says, this is my Son, this is my guy, I'm well pleased with him. I mean, Jesus hasn't even done anything yet. But God said, this is my son. This is my son. He assigns him an identity. And then immediately after that, the next verse, chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit in the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And then his identity that he just received as the Son of God, that identity is put to the test. The devil comes to tempt him and goes right for the jugular. He tests his identity. And I don't know if you've ever had your identity tested, but, but something core to who you are, something that makes you you being called into question. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it's very challenging. It's very challenging. Uh, so, for example, uh, I'm, I'm from a family that, that's very driven, very driven family. So, for example, my brother uh, is 30 years old, and my older brother, and, and his goal in life is to be the president of a major university. That's what he wants to do. And uh, so he's already finishing up his, his second master's, 
with, with his PhD next. And then he's, he's worked at this point, he's worked his way up uh, at Bradley University, the University of Arizona, University of Colorado, and now at 30, he's the dean of students at a small college in Denver, Colorado, right? So he's just this driven guy, like, I'm gonna do this, I'm pursuing this, I'm going full tilt. My dad, same way. My dad, by the time he was 36, had, had finished up his doctorate while simultaneously being the lead pastor of a church of about 3,500 people. And so, so he's doing that. And I could, I could tell you about, about my, my sisters and all that they do and, and my mom and what she's done, but then I'd kind of look like a jerk just bragging about how awesome his family is. So I won't do that. Uh, plus, my sisters get enough tension as it is. So, you know, sibling rivalries die hard. Um, but so that's my family. I mean, you get the point. The Caspers, we're, we're a driven family. Like, that's what we do. And I don't know if this work ethic came from, from my dad being a farm boy or my mom's sort of constant desire to learn. But just part of being a Casper is we say, man, you work really hard and you try to go as far as you can in this life. You do the best you can with where you're at and you work hard. So this week, this week I met a young couple and uh, I was talking to them as, as, as I do. And, uh, and the, the guy, he says, so, so what do you do for a living? which is always like the worst question when you're a pastor because usually if the people are really religious, they get really weird and like start asking you just odd questions. And, and if they're not or haven't been to church in a while, they're like, oh, that's cool. And that's the end of the conversation, right? So uh, it's, but whatever. So I told him the truth because that's good to do. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. And, and he said, oh, is that a full-time job? <laughs> and I like just about lost my stuff, you know? Like, I was gonna, like, tear him a new one. And I was gonna be like, bro, I'm a Casper, man. Like, full-time job. We don't put in 60-hour weeks. We put in 60-hour days, son. And we're bad at math. But don't step on my drive, you know? I just wanted to tear into him, justify who I was and what I do. And why is that? Why did that upset me so much? I mean, it's a fairly innocent question. He doesn't know. I mean, as far as he knows, I work an hour a week, right? Show up on Sunday? Good to go. Um... But I, I got so upset about it because it's part of my identity. It's central to who I am. It's, 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 it's part of how, how God's, God's made me. And so I felt like I was being attacked. You can all rest easy tonight. I smiled and said, yes, it's a you know, full-time job. Didn't, didn't bite his head off. But, but when your identity is attacked, it's tremendously unsettling. When something you rest a lot of who you are on is called into question, it throws off your game. And see, that's what the devil does to Jesus in our text. And that's what the devil does when he tempts. He doesn't just come in and say, hey, here's this sin, you should do it. He comes in and he questions your very identity. He comes in and he questions Jesus' very identity. Look with me at at verse three in our text for today. It says this, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So the devil comes to Jesus and says, if, if, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if that's really your identity, Jesus, if that's really who you are, the son of the living God, then turn these stones into bread. And 40 days earlier, we know that Jesus heard his father in heaven say, you are my son. He heard God the father say, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. But now it's been 40 days and Jesus hasn't eaten. He's been wandering in the wilderness alone. And of course, we believe that Jesus is fully God, but let's not forget, we also believe that he's fully human. And so after 40 days of being in the wilderness alone, I'm sure he's pretty hungry. I'm sure he's pretty tired. He's probably sunburned. And I'm sure he's lonely. 
And so it's no coincidence that the devil comes to him in this moment. It's no coincidence that he comes to him and says, essentially, look, Jesus, if you were really God's son, he wouldn't treat you like this. Come on, look, you're, you're so hungry. You're all alone. Why don't you just take care of yourself? God's obviously forgotten about you. Or maybe he hasn't wanted you to prove to me that you're his son. You see, when the devil tempts you, he calls your identity into question. And he does the same thing to us. He does the same thing to us. And he does this, I think, in, in two key ways. One way he'll do it is, is he'll call your identity into question into how you use it. So he won't necessarily say you're not a child of God, but he'll, he'll redefine what it means to be a child of God. Here's what I mean. Uh, you'll, you'll think this thought. Let me know if this rings true for you. Well, hey, if you're, if you're really a child of God, if that's your identity, if that's who you are at your core, well, then you're forgiven. And so it doesn't matter what you do. And so it doesn't matter whether or not you follow Jesus. It doesn't matter whether or not you carry the cross. You don't have to do anything. Do whatever you want. Just pursue your little version of the American dream. It doesn't matter what you do. Give in to temptation. Just focus on the bread. That's all that matters. Right? That's one way. The other way the devil calls our identity into question is he says this. You know, if you were really a child of God, uh, you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have said that thing. You, uh, real, real Christians, they don't do what you did. So you can't possibly be a child of God because you did that and, and they don't do that. You messed up too bad this time, bro. Maybe you're not forgiven. Maybe you're not really a child of God. See, that's the other thing he does. Both sides there. You see that? And I think we've all experienced that, either one or the other or probably for a lot of us both. And so what do you do with that? How, how, do, we, how do we combat that? Well, let's see what Jesus says. Verse four. Jesus says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus combats this by quoting scripture to the devil. He says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it's good to, to quote scripture, but it's key that we notice what scripture he quotes. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. And in the context of that, he's actually quoting Moses. And Moses in Deuteronomy 8 is speaking to the people of Israel and they've been wandering in the desert and they're about to enter the promised land and, and Moses says, hey listen, when you go into the promised land, what's gonna happen is you're gonna plant a field and, and you're gonna get a harvest and it's gonna do really well. And you're gonna think, man, I'm doing really well for myself. I've done a good job. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I don't really need God because I took care of me. And Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 8, oh no, oh no. Man does not live by just bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so what does that mean? What does it mean that we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God? I think oftentimes as American Christians, we've thought, well, that means, you know, you eat your bread, but while you're doing that, you, you read the Bible. And so that's, that's how that works. But that's, that's, and I'm all for reading the Bible, but that's not what Moses is talking about here. What he's talking about is, is how does God create uh, the world, according to the Bible. He speaks it into existence. God's word produces life. And it says in scripture that, that God's word, with a word of his power, he holds the universe together. And so what Moses is saying to the Israelites is, is anything you produce is only because God enabled you to do that. He's saying the fact that you are breathing, talking, standing here is a gift. 
It's only because of, of the power of God's word that we're even alive. And so he's saying, don't forget for one second that everything you have is a gift. Don't forget that. And so that's what Jesus is saying to the devil when he quotes Deuteronomy 8. He's saying, listen, I may be hungry right now, but God has kept me safe so far. And so I'm going to continue to depend on him. In hunger, in thirst, in loneliness, in life, and in death, he's saying my identity will always be the son of God. Will always be the son of God. And see, we get to say the same thing. Because the devil may be real, he may call our identity into question, but, but Romans 8, he cannot separate us from the love of God. That's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He can't do it, no matter what. He can question your identity, but only God can give you that identity. Only God can keep you in that identity as his child. So I don't know if you uh, saw the video this week uh, online of, of Ron, uh, but we get a beautiful picture in Ron's story of what it looks like for God to give someone that identity as a child of God and snatch them away from the hands of the enemy. And so we're going to take a, a moment here and we're going we're to watch this video of Ron and then he's going to come up and uh, answer some questions for us. Alrighty, I'm, uh, I'm Ron Jackson and this is my story. So anyway, I grew up... Um, Pretty, pretty normal life, but then when I was uh, about a year after I got back from Vietnam on my second tour and got out of the Navy, I was trying to lose some weight, and I was living with some guys in Louisville, Kentucky. These were three guys in a band called Bluegrass Alliance, which was an older uh, a band from the 70s. And uh, in fact, Vince Gill had been a member of them. He, he took my best friend's place in the band uh, back in the 70s. But anyway, uh, we were all living in an apartment, and um, the way we got together and were friends is that uh, we all liked to drink a lot of beer and do a lot of illegal stuff. We had all decided to get an apartment together, and I was kind of a roadie with them, and on the weekends when I wasn't working, I would travel out of town with them and drive the bus and go, go on shows with them across the country. I was trying to lose some weight, and uh, I decided to go on a diet, and so I went without... Uh, no drugs, no alcohol for about two weeks. And this first time my head was clear in about three years, probably. And so I was sitting on the couch uh, in an apartment pretty much like this one. We had a three-bedroom apartment. And I was on the couch watching television, 6 o'clock news, and all the news that day, this was July of 1973, uh, they announced on the news headlines that we bombed the Cambodian Army by mistake that day and wiped half of them out on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which was a disaster. Um, and it was the first pictures of the gas shortages in America where people were lined up at the pumps and couldn't get gas. So I was thoroughly depressed. I, ju I just went completely down. Uh, my head was clear, didn't have anything to keep me up, so to speak. And so I really started getting depressed. Well, my brother at the time was um, uh, at Georgia Tech getting his doctor's degree and uh, so I, uh, he had he had always been Catholic was an altar boy the most moral person I knew so I was gonna get some advice from him because I was just depressed and wanted to talk to somebody so anyway I called him on the phone and uh, I had the phone here on the the arm of the couch and uh, I, I don't remember a lot about the conversation but I do remember when he hung up he told me he said 
Um, Ron, if, he said, if you have God on the inside, the outside will take care of itself. And so I remember hanging up the phone and I looked over at our front door. My, my three roommates were in the kitchen eating supper. They, they weren't even paying attention to me while I was watching television and talking to my brother. But um, I looked at the front door and I remember looking at the doorknob and I was thinking to myself, if the police were to kick that door down and raid us right now and I got shot, I'd go straight to hell. And uh, I remember saying, and I didn't pray, but I remember saying, I'd do anything to go to heaven. And from probably, it wasn't even a second. At that moment, my whole life changed. And uh, as I was sitting there, I couldn't figure out what happened to me, but I realized that all of the burden I had, all the sin, all the stuff that I'd been carrying around for years, was gone. it was just gone. And I didn't understand what happened to me. Well, I got up from the couch, and uh, I took the Bible, and I went into my room, and I closed the door. And something happened to me that has never happened since, and I've never forgotten it. Uh, when I opened the Bible, my eyes fell on 2 Corinthians 5.17. I didn't flip through the Bible. I didn't turn a page. My eyes just fell straight to it. Uh, and it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He's a new creature. Behold, all things behold, all things are become new. So, anyway, I knew at that instant what had happened to me. I'd gotten saved. You know, every every day I think I should be dead and in hell, and I'm not. But it's uh, <clears throat> it's only because of the grace of God, because of God's love. But uh, anyway, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. If we could uh, welcome Ron up front. Well, Ron, we just uh, want to ask you a few questions so that folks can hear a little bit more of your story because uh, I got to hear so much of it. But uh, one of the things that, that I love in the video, and I don't know if, if you all noticed this, but you, you mentioned uh, your brother said to you on the phone, he said, Ron, if you have God on the inside, uh, that the outside will take care of itself. And uh, I think that's such an interesting statement. And so I'm wondering if, if you could unpack that a bit more for us and, and maybe tell us uh, how you've seen having God on inside has enabled you to in, engage uh, the world. Well, my brother was, um, he didn't, I don't think he understood how to give me the gospel per se. But when he said that, um, that, you know, if you have God on the inside, the outside will take care of itself. <clears throat> what he was really saying was, that, um, you know, it's like that scripture that says uh, we're more than conquerors through mm -hmm. Christ. Mm -hmm. um, it's crazy. The world's always crazy, always has been, always will be. And uh, just like that night that I was watching those devastating news headlines, the, um, what he was telling me was you don't have to worry about all that because God is in control of it all. Mm. And so... Uh, if you're born again, if you have the spirit of, of Christ on the inside of you, the outside of the world is secondary because if God's working in your life and God's leading you, uh, just like Jesus went through all the circumstances he went through, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't matter because it's, it's according to God's plan. So you don't have to worry about it. Um, as bad as things get on the outside, if you have Christ on the inside, 
I mean, you know, you're locked up in a win situation and there's nothing to worry about. That's right. That's awesome, Ron. That's, that's really cool. And I think it's so key how you point out that, you know, one of the things we see in scripture is that faith comes through hearing the gospel and, and how hearing those, those words that, uh, you know, you're like, they weren't, you know, he didn't exactly spell out Jesus died for you and you should believe in him, but somehow the Holy Spirit was able to work through that and, and work faith in your life and, and transformation, which is incredible. Um, but as your story progresses in the video, you, you mentioned this moment in which everything sort of shifts for you and, and you say your guilt and your sin and it seems like your old habits and hang-ups, they just sort of melt away and you experience the grace of God and then you come across that beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians five seventeen that says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. And, and you realize that this is what's happened to you. And, and I think that's incredible. But now here we are, like 40 years later. It was funny, I was listening to that. I was like, so Ron got saved 12 years before I was born. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, but but so, so that was a while ago. And so I'm sure as, as a human being, you, you've made mistakes along the way. And, and you've, you've, you've probably sinned since then. And so I wonder how, how seeing yourself as a new creation in Christ how that's helped you navigate this tension between being made new and yet still wrestling with, with your sinful self. Well, the, f- the first year I was saved, um, and by the way, two weeks after I was saved, I, I forced all of my roommates to go to church. And oh, uh, they didn't, I, when I believe in something, I sell it, so you don't really have a choice <laughs> when you're around me. So anyway, I, was, I told my family, about Christ, I told all my friends, I told everybody. Well, anyway, the, the one, one of the roommates there also got saved, and he's been a pastor for 35 years now. But uh, <clears throat> the uh, first year I was saved, there, I had no problem. I was compelled to tell people about Christ, and I didn't really have uh, any qualms about it. I didn't, have, I didn't apologize for it. I just, it's like... Um, what was it? Peter said, uh, we can but speak the things we've seen and heard. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have a choice, really. Just bubbling uh, up. It, it just, I couldn't help it. And then, uh, you, but you have to learn, you know, you, you, you know that saying, you make your habits and your habits make you. Well, through that year and, and the years thereafter, um, I learned to abide in Christ and just take things as they would come and, you know, if you thought your circumstances were good, you know, you pray and ask God to change them or else you just live through them. And uh, as far as the, the, the tension, there's always a tension. Um, you know, and I mentioned to you, uh, I think more, more than one occasion, I read that Kyle Eidelman book, uh, Not a Fan. Mm-hmm. Well, in that book, he mentioned uh, that he has a, uh, a sign or a poster or something in his prayer closet where he says, uh, I die daily you know, that scripture about Paul. Mm-hmm. And that's what I have endeavored to do. Uh, anytime I, I want to be conscious of God in my life 24 hours a day, and I constantly ask God to help me die daily. And that's, uh, you have to do that. You have to have something that, that the, the spirit of God on the inside of you has to be able to manifest itself, and, you, and it has to overcome all the things that you're tempted with on the outside. Mm-hmm. And so it, it doesn't always succeed because of our sinful nature but um you know you know it's like the good dog and the bad dog you know the one you feed the most wins and so um you know you feed the spirit with uh with scripture prayer and you know seeking god then uh it minimizes you know the uh the downside that that can happen to you if you neglect it awesome wow that's awesome well ron thank you so much for sharing with us um 
And uh, if we can just say thanks to Ron one more time, it was awesome. Thanks, Ron. Man, that's so cool. And one of the things that I love about Ron's story, and probably my favorite part about it, is Ron is is Ron. You know, like like he says, it's his story. He's sticking to it. You know, he's he's just he's a dude, right? But but he's 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 a dude in Christ. Right? He's, he's a new creation. And I love that, that, that his identity is, has been changed, that he's a child of God, yet he's still that unique person that, that God made him to be. And I think because of that, there's very much a realness when Ron speaks and a realness to his story that I certainly relate to and I hope uh, that, that each of you were, were able to relate to this morning. And, and you may be thinking, you know, that's true, Gabe. Like that, that realness is great and all, and, and I get that, but it's hard for me to see that in my life. Like, I'm happy for Ron, I'm, I'm happy that he's a, a new creation in Christ, that he came across that passage, wow, that's just incredible. But it's hard for me to, to really feel that in my life. It's hard for me to see that as true. And so if that's you, uh, come with me. We'll go back to our text for today as we close up here. Uh, we remember in our text that the devil approaches Jesus, calls his identity into question, says, if you are the son of God. And what does Jesus do to respond? He responds by speaking truth in the face of the devil's lies. Jesus responds by speaking truth in the face of the devil's lies. And so if we're really going to dig into our reality, dig into the identity we have as the children of God, we have to do the same thing. We have to speak truth in the face of the devil's lies. If we're really going to live into that reality, we have to speak truth to ourselves and perhaps even to the enemy himself. See, uh, Martin Luther would talk about this. I told you all this last week, right? It's either going to be soccer or Martin Luther. Last week was soccer. This week you get Luther. Um, and, and he would talk about this and he'd say, when the devil's attacking you, when you're feeling tempted, when you're filled with self-doubt, he says, you have to preach to yourself. You have to preach to yourself. And it may sound crazy, but it works. He says, so when the devil uses your identity as a child of God as an excuse to give into temptation, as an excuse to sin, Preach to yourself. Say, yeah, you know what? I am a child of God. I am forgiven. But that means I've been called to a new life. That means I no longer live for myself, but instead I live for God. My identity as a child of God is not an excuse to sin, but it's an opportunity to serve. It's a gift to use. Or when he calls in your question, uh, or when he questions your identity as a child of God, he says, you couldn't be one after what you've done. Say, no, I am. I am. God doesn't make mistakes. He's called me as child through faith and through baptism. I'm worth so much to Jesus that he went to the cross for me. Jesus literally loved me to death. You say that. You preach that to yourself. So I have a cousin who's uh, like 10 years younger than me named Ricky. And uh, when he was young, he was, he was really sick. When he was a little baby, he was really sick. And so growing up, he's had some developmental issues. Uh, but he and I have always had a really tight bond ever since he was a toddler. Um, and that tight bond came because uh, for his therapy, true story, uh, his therapy, the, his therapist encouraged that he, he wrestle, that he have someone like roughhouse with him. And so I was like, you know, 10, 11, or well, I was 12 years old when, when that prescription came along. And so uh, my, my aunt appointed me to, you know, be the person to beat up her son. And so, so that's, that's what I would do. And, uh, and so we just, we had this tight bond growing up that I'd just throw him around my parents' living room and, and it was awesome. 
And uh, anyway, so we flash forward a few years, and, and he's like nine or ten now, and, and I'm in college, and, and I came back to visit, and uh, we went back to our, our regular old habit, and I'm beating him up and, and throwing him around my parents' living room. Uh, but this time, um, unfortunately, it got too rough, and uh, he ended up breaking his arm. And of course, I'm like, just a wreck, you know, just beating myself up over it because here's this kid that I'm supposed to help develop physically and instead I've broken his arm, you know, and so I'm just like, I am crushed, like I was just guilt, oh, it's bad. And, uh, but I'll never forget what happened next. Uh, my Uncle Carl, who's Ricky's dad, you know, grabbed his son, put him in the car and then he came back into the house real quick before they went to the hospital and he grabbed me by the arms and I was like, oh, gosh, here it comes, man, you know, like, broke your kid's arm and he looked me in the eyes and he goes don't beat yourself up over this he says if you do that the devil wins and we don't want that and then he took off and went to the hospital now listen I realize this sermon this message today is is maybe a little weird for some of you like this talk of of temptation and the devil and an identity and preaching to yourself maybe a little little weird I get it Normally I'm much cooler, okay, but, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I really do. But see, what my uncle understood and what we need to understand is that there is a very real spiritual enemy out there who is doing whatever he can, whenever he can, to remove your identity as a child of God. It's just true. He's doing whatever he can, whenever he can, to call into question your identity as a child of God. But what we know to be true is that while our enemy is great, our God is greater. And he's at work to call you his own, to claim you as his child. And we know that our God has done and will do whatever it takes to hang on to us forever. And we know this about our God because Jesus went to the cross. Because Jesus went to the cross. See, not only does the devil in our story call Jesus' identity into question, he calls Jesus' entire mission into question. Look with me at verses 8 and 9 in our text as we close. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. You see, let's remember Jesus' mission. He came to bring about God's kingdom. He came to bring about the healing rule and reign of God. But he knew that he would have to suffer greatly at the, at, on the cross to do that. You have to go through tremendous suffering to do that. And so what the devil does is he says, hey man, you want the kingdom? You want to fulfill your mission? I've got it for you right here. This is the pain-free way to do it. This is the easy way out. You just bow your knee down. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And that's when Jesus says, uh-uh. He says, be gone, Satan. And that's good news for us. It's good news for us because instead of taking the easy way out and giving into temptation and leaving all of us condemned and helpless, he took the hard road and he went to the cross. He was stripped and beaten and abandoned by his father in heaven, but he did all of that for you. He overcame temptation so that he could forgive you when you don't. He suffered tremendously so that you might know the comfort of God's love. And he was abandoned by the Father so that you could be embraced as his child, both now 
and forever. And so when temptation rears its head and and self-doubt racks your brain and, and guilt weighs you down, church, you own your identity. You are a child of God. You are made new in Christ. Nothing, nothing, nothing will ever separate you from him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brother Ron and his story and how you radically worked in his life to draw him close to you. God, I pray that you would work that way in all our lives. That you'd remove any any guilt or sin or stain that weighs heavy on us. That we would live as your new creation as your children, that you've given us that identity, Lord. Teach us to own that. Teach us to live into that, Lord. Keep the evil one away from us. Teach us to trust in you and your great power. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.